So the big question is this. How can runners like you, who aren't professional athletes or paid sponsored runners, avoid injury and increase athletic performance to enjoy running race events for the rest of your life without wasting money on trends or using dangerous painkiller drugs? That is the question. And on hashtag Run Pain Free Podcast, your host, sports biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio, gives you the answers. Thank you for tuning in to the Run Pain Free Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. And this is a special open session with Miss Mita Sweeney. She's an author, she's an athlete, and she literally used running to her advantage. And we talk about how depression hates a marathon runner. And we go over so many obstacles that she's gone through. And people who've heard this interview have given us amazing feedback and had so much insight on it. So I know you're definitely going to enjoy it and really get a lot out of it. Make sure you find your way over to the description of this podcast and you will find the link to get to her advanced session where you will also find all of our other experts from the Marathon Training Summit's open and advanced sessions as well. Enjoy. So welcome to the Run Pain Free open session for Marathon Training. I have Nita Sweeney here with me, an amazing author. Welcome, Nita. Thank you for joining. Oh, thanks so much. I'm really pleased to be here. It's uh, I think this is a really exciting thing. So. Yes, I'm so excited to have you. And I know that our, our listeners are going to really take a lot from our conversation today. And I'm going to give them a background as to why they will get so much out of this. And I'm going to talk about Nita's bio. Nita Sweeney is the award-winning author of the Running and Mental Health Memoir, Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running with My Dog Brought Me Back from the Brink and co-author of the writing journal, You Should Be Writing. And that's coming out on June 16th this year. Correct, Nita? That's correct. Yeah, we're swinging right into that right now. Awesome. Nita also coaches creatives in writing and meditation, blogs for Bum Glue, and publishes the monthly email newsletter, Right Now Columbus. And she lives in Central Ohio with her husband, Ed, and their yellow Labrador retriever, Scarlet. Correct? That's correct, yes, yes. Awesome, I'm excited to talk about this amazing book we're gonna reference. A huge conversation we're gonna have today is about depression and how it relates to running and athletes and how depression is something a lot of people actually run for. And you put such an amazing voice to it and I, I really appreciate you bringing that out and putting it pen to paper so people can really talk about it. And even if it's just talking with themselves about it, I think it just lends that voice to it. So I really appreciate that. So the topic is not only something that's not talked about, it's also a level of lack of self-awareness. So putting a voice to that inner voice, if you will, makes all the difference that one needs to realize their own feelings. To understand your feelings and to realize your own feelings is really something different. And running is quite emotional. Um, whether you're an elite Olympian runner or a first time 5K runner, it's emotional. And so we really take a lot from this book and understanding our emotions and giving a voice to it. So again, I'm excited to talk with you about it and we're gonna get right into our first question. Every person's running story is unique and I would love to hear your reason you started running your why when that clicked in for you. Well, it began, and I write about this in the book, um, after I had a very bad year where a whole bunch of people died. I won't go into all that. It's all in the book. And I was glued to the sofa. I mean, I was stuck. I was almost under the sofa. Um, 
I have chronic depression, I'm bipolar, I'm bipolar two, which often manifests as depression. Uh, people often don't know they're bipolar for a very long time because the depression is actually the main symptom. So here I am scrolling through some social media channel and a high school friend who's a year older than me, at least as big as I was at that time, who, as far as I knew, wasn't athletic, posts, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And my immediate thought was, you have got to be joking. Um, but she wasn't. And so I followed her progress with the, I think she was doing couch to 5K, but you know, it was some type of an interval plan. It doesn't, the plan itself doesn't matter that much, but she was just doing this plan. And you know, that particular day, the depression um, took me over again and I ended up back in bed and, um, you know, as was often the case with me, but it triggered this, like, I say it planted a seed in the back of my mind. And so that was probably in the winter and then spring rolled around and I started seeing here in central Ohio, the crocuses bloom, things like that, you know, little tiny buds pop up and even sometimes in the snow. Um, and I went to the website and it said 60 seconds of jogging. Now it said a lot of other things too, but what I saw was 60 seconds of jogging and she was still posting about her progress on this. And um, I thought, why not? Why not? Because I was in such a place that, you know, I'd tried a lot of different things and I knew that something had to give because it was not good. So I was terrified of people laughing at me, which I still kind of am, but less so. So I decided to take our dog, the dog we had at the time was Morgan. And um, that way the neighbors would think I was just exercising him. And we would go down to this hidden ravine. And so I took a microwave timer on this little square digital, not the clicking time, but the <laughs> digital ones. And um, and took him down there and jogged for 60 seconds and I didn't die. And that's, you know, that's where my mind works. It's like, this is going to kill you. This is going to kill you. You're going to die. You know, running is horrible and it's painful. And, and there have been times in my life, um, many, many years earlier when I was much, much younger, when I ran, but what I really did was sprinted. I mean, I didn't know that at the time, but I was running as hard as I could, as fast as I could, basically just to try to lose weight. There was no joy in it. There was no peace. There was no... Um, even sense of accomplishment. It was just how much, how many calories can I burn? How fast? So, uh, so that's how it started. Was my it's my friend's fault. Really. <laughs> that's awesome. Kim. Thank you, Miss Kim. <laughs> yes. yes, that's awesome. I love it. And the fact that I love that you were admittedly in a bad place and were and had your own fortitude to do something to come out of it. That's 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 tough. That's really tough. It's not something I get asked, you know, people say to me, oh, my friend needs this book. Oh, my mom needs this book. I, I'm like, we, we talked about that earlier. And it's not something that you can give to someone else. I think you can only um, be an example. So I can tell people, and if I say too much, oh, this is so great, then, you know, they're going to go, yeah. Because I'm sure that I had friends tell me how much exercise helped them. I'm sure I did. Totally. Yeah. Years. Yeah. But it was just that day I heard it, that particular moment, I could hear it. Mm -hmm. um, and 
So yeah, it wasn't, you know, it doesn't feel like fortitude. It feels, it felt like desperation is actually what it felt like. As wow. if I was just at the end of my, you know, this is proverbial rope, whatever. Yeah. I, was, I was just at a place where it, I had to do something um, or I was going to end up back in the hospital. That's what I was afraid of. I was going to end up back in the psych ward. Um, so, right. I love it. Good for you. Amazing. I'm thankful for, thankful for that desperation for you and for your friend <laughs> for giving that yes. doorway. Yeah. Right. Um, so your book begins in the infamous porter potty, which I love. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And the self-talk that you go through is real and i'm certain every runner can relate to that and even those exact words i've heard them from runners talking to me about themselves to me in the exact same way um was it challenging for you as an author to be so open about that negative self-talk at first yes um i think we all want to look good you know who doesn't want to look good yeah. and um and so it took the revision process, some beta readers, uh, which is when you send a book to people, other writers uh, or non-writers, other runners for feedback. And, um, and then I did hire an editor, a professional editor to help me, uh, which is often what you do with a book to get it, you know, to, to the highest level possible to, to, before you pitch it to a publisher. And I kept getting the question, well, what is going on inside you? We need to hear more about you. We need to, it needs to be you. And eventually I realized they wanted the emotional component. They didn't just want to know, oh, I, you know, I went down the street and there was a chihuahua bouncing in the window and it was sunny and I was doing great. And this is great. This is great. They didn't want that. They wanted to hear that inner dialogue. And so I um, keep a lot of journals. I've been writing for years and I do what uh, we call writing practice. And part of that is to capture sensory details, not just of the external world, but also of the internal world, thought processes and uh, body sensations, emotions. So I had records of that. I had, um, when, I, when I write, um, you know, a report like on uh, Strava, Matt My Run, I keep, I, I actually use Matt My Run and I keep that private, but it goes to Strava. So there's like a public thing for all the challenges and stuff, which are great. Right. Um, but I keep a kind of a diary, a journal on um, <clears throat> Matt My Run of my privatest thoughts, uh, some of which I you know, wouldn't necessarily want to share. So in doing that, I had all that information they were asking for. So it was about just going back and, um, weaving that in to take the book to a deeper level. And um, I'm not sure I really thought about it at the time. I was trying to get a book published. And so I was willing to do what it took. And if exposing myself, I was more concerned about my husband and um, making sure that I didn't say anything um, that would offend him or upset him. Although it would be really hard. He's been such a great fan. But I was just kind of careful about that. And then the other people in my life, I was very careful to try to, um, you know, if I said anything negative about anybody, about my emotions, about somebody, I wanted to show both sides. Um, here's what I thought, here's something else that might be happening. So that I wasn't just going, you know, ranting at something or just giving you that um, kind of one-sided perspective, so. I, I love that and, I, and that's very, that's very um, depicted in here, you really do go back and forth very clearly, even even when you speak, we'll talk about this later, but even when you talk about telling Ed you were going to start running, um, 
even then you your your speculation your internal speculation you t- you show you you showed the side that you understood who he was and the other side of what you were thinking well, he could be thinking this and could be thinking that so I, you do show that throughout the book so I, I appreciate that as well and and continuing with self talk um we all have negative self talk and insecurities in my opinion whether someone admits to them outwardly is irrelevant i always talk about only person you have to admit it to truly is yourself that's what i always say um when did you realize though it was a bit more than just simply bad talk and it was an actual issue for you oh that was many years ago um probably i was i i'm an attorney and i practiced law for about 10 years and during the end of that i um eventually had to to get help because i couldn't work I got to the place where I couldn't do my job and I prided myself I was a partner in a small law firm and I really prided myself on my work and when I went in and talked to a professional and she said to me you know do you realize how um bad your brain is <laughs> I mean that's not what she said she sort of said you know do you realize how how hard you're treating yourself how critically you're speaking to yourself and I sort of knew that that I was different somehow than a lot of people um but I didn't realize that it was possibly diagnosable mm. and you know she said that that was um, and the other thing that she said was that me practicing law was the worst case of poor job fit she'd seen in I think like two decades of psychology practice and again because I was so out of touch mm. with myself and I just had this critical voice that said well if you were a better person you'd really love this job and you wouldn't be terrified of of conflict and you wouldn't you know if you were just if you would just work harder you'd be fine and she's and she said that that's toxic so um so yeah so i've had it for a long time and it what happens is anytime something new is presented i have to relearn it in that context and so this book and taking up running was another place where it's it's almost like it's uh it's like whack-a-mole you know how it pops up and you hit it and you think okay i got it now oh no here it is over here and over here and over here. and so um so with the running it was just a new place for that voice to to say oh well, we'll try it here it didn't work all the other places but we'll try it here yeah. and so that's what happened to me and uh no interesting very interesting and i think whack-a-mole is a great is a great <laughs> example of what happens when you're trying to relearn yourself all the time and it's still it'll always pop up for you. I think that's a great example. We all um, have those patterns. Yeah. We all have patterns and so learning what they are for me has been very helpful. So in terms of that, how did you find that you what did you use as tools to discourage the bad voices or did a positive voice just overshadow it eventually? It took time. Um I'm not exactly sure. I must have gotten this idea from somebody else. I can't remember who but i'm sure it's not original but what happened was eventually in those uh running logs you know in i think Matt my run asks you how did it go or something like that i started at the end no matter what critical thing i said or oh i'm so slow or you know if i my form isn't great or my left ankle swell you know any of that kind of stuff at the end i would go way to go nita good job almost as like if it was as if it was um not necessarily my mom maybe my sister but somebody who just would like cheerlead me um and and i i could feel like it, i could feel as if it it felt kind of fake but eventually then what happened is it carried over into the rest of my life 
and especially on the run. So now what happens, I'll hear that voice, especially right now with things being so unusual in our world, I hear that voice a lot more. Again, new situation, voice goes, oh, let's try it now. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. And so at first I get the critical voice and then eventually I'll hear something. It often says, oh, sweetheart, don't do that to yourself or, oh, honey, it's okay. You know, it's, it's just very, it's just, this very, and it's very quiet. It's just sort of like over here in the corner, in the way in the back. And so I really have to listen for it. But yeah, wow. it just started with that. Um, you know, I do a lot of writing and so I tend to process things through writing. But now, even when I'm running, that will, it'll pop up if I find myself, you know, looking at my pace and thinking, oh, you're, you're never going to be fast again. Not that I was ever terribly fast, but you know what I mean? It's that you yeah. just get that. And so um, then I'll hear that voice, oh, sweetheart, at least you're running. Or, oh, honey, it's right. such a beautiful day. So. Wow. It lends a lot to have the power of journaling <laughs> and how just repeating that to yourself eventually becomes your self-talk. It's so powerful because right. we all are so used to it on the negative side. And I think that's such a common norm that just to do that little positive switch could just become just as much of a norm if you just did it repeatedly. And it, But it was just at the end, I mean, the, the entry might be a hundred words and this would be six words at the end, but it was the way I ended it. Yeah. So I always ended it with that, you know, you go kind of thing. Yeah. And I, it just, I, like I said, I wish I could remember who suggested it or where I saw it. I'm sure I saw it somewhere and thought, heck, I'll try it. But it, um, it was very, it was transformative. Clearly, one, I love it. Um, I, getting into a little bit deeper now before, you know, as we go along here, we talk about, you talk about how napping was an, became a necessity with your depression. And I found it interesting um, in reading that part of the book because you, it's a good amount of, there's a good amount of information that napping actually is a sign that you're depressed. If your information, like if someone's sleeping a lot, oh, you might be depressed. You know, there's a lot of information about that on different levels, but um, it's not a physical tiredness. It's an emotional tiredness. And you would say living would exhaust you like the daily living would exhaust you. And when you, when you started running, you not, the first week you didn't need a nap was a huge achievement for you. And I, I specifically like that if it was like just a person who wasn't dealing with mental health issues and they started running, they'd actually need a nap because they're not used to the physical fatigue. So it was a great, um, it was a great example of how running is really specific to the person and the exact same achievement could be totally could be seen totally differently. Can you talk about that, the difference from a, from a mental health standpoint and with that for you? Well, I, I um, come from a long line of nappers, but I also come from a long line of people who criticize nappers. So my mother would be the napper and my father would be the man saying, oh my God, is she napping again? So when I was depressed and I fought it for years. I fought the urge to nap for years because my father's voice was so strong and he's probably the strongest critical voice. He was also a big supporter, but strongest critical voice. And so it didn't necessarily occur to me that it would be different for other runners until I joined a running community. Because like you said, it was, it was stunning to me when I think it was maybe the third week, second week, I can't remember now, it's in the book, but when I ordinarily would come back from <clears throat> any kind of outing, 
I mean, to the grocery store, to a coffee house, to anything. And I would have to come home and lie down because I was just, and some days it would just be eating lunch would wear me out. I mean, it just depended on the level of my depression at the time. So to have a day where I actually tried to take a nap and couldn't, I mean, couldn't fall asleep. And then to have the image of running come in my mind, because there's a thread throughout the book about uh, dreaming about running and to realize that, oh my gosh, my brain wants me to go out, leash up the dog and get out in the neighborhood. That's, it was just unfathomable. I mean, just, I, I just was stunned. Um, and so I did and I felt better. So it wasn't until I um, was with a group of runners where I first it was online community, but then eventually I joined an in-person running group and people would talk about taking a nap after the long runs. And sometimes I still do. I mean, I, it's not like I don't need a nap because, right. you know, I mean, especially when you're marathon training or, or just some days you just come home and take a shower and you just want to collapse for a while. And that's great. There's nothing, there's not a lot better than a post, you know, long Saturday run nap. Yeah. So, um, um, so I'm not anti-nap, but, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was a barometer. It was a marker right. of how I was doing to not need a nap. And it stunned me, um, probably more than anybody else. So. And it's the premise, the premise changed. You knew that you knew you were, you knew the difference between napping for depression and napping because you were physically exhausted or different. And right. Think- completely different. That's a yeah. very good point. The completely different type of nap napping because you can't cope because I mean, my brain was so busy and it was all bad. I mean, there was no positive in my brain and that was exhausting. That was the, the exhaustion that required that. The nap was not a restful nap. It was unconsciousness. It was escape versus the type of sleep or rest you get after exertion or after, you know, a good day's work or right. um, sometimes a good meal where you just want to lie down and just let it all, you know, that's, it was completely different. It was, and sometimes they would be anxious, fitful naps, um, mm. just a, you know, very different than what I experience now. That's awesome. And you do this throughout the whole book, just you, you really do. You really talk about such a different side of it. I'll get into it <laughs> later, but you really do talk about how it, it's just so, it's all relative to the person and what it does for you in running. But with depression, uh, it's just, our, our premise here at Run Pain Free is we swap fear for education, fear for knowledge. And we're firm believers that when you replace fear with knowledge, the fear dissipates, goes down. And I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about depression or admit that they have it or are going to be judged and what have you by it. And it's really just about taking care of yourself. It's, it's your own thing. So I appreciate all of these types of examples that can show people, oh, maybe I should think about what I'm doing a little bit more and pay attention to that differently. You know, that feeling changes accordingly. Which goes into me talking about Ed, your your amazing husband. He's your you know him as your best friend and your confidant. And a year into marriage, you found yourself in a psych ward, and Ed was right there by your side. Uh, amazingly, it's clear he's been vital in your life and a, a true fan and, and cheerleader to you. How important is it for someone with depression that to have that one person with unwavering support? So someone like you who's looking into, you know, who would be supportive going into running, going training for a marathon, how important is it to have that one person, do you feel, for someone with depression? Well, for me, it was vital. I, I know that 
for people, especially single people who or people who are unpartnered in some way, uh, joining a group serves that pur purpose. I was lucky to have Ed, so I didn't actually join a running group for quite a while. There were other reasons also, um, anxiety, paranoia, things like that. But I had him beside me. Now, the flip side of that is that at some point he did get a little tired of hearing, you know, it took a while, but after a few years, he's like, yeah, maybe you can go to that 5K on your own. But uh, but yeah, he's still, um, I'll tell you the biggest example. I'll just give you a really good example. So he read every single version, every draft of Depression Hates a Moving Target. Wow. And then you get uh, at some point about, I don't know, 10 days before the book comes out, you get your author copies, you get a, you know, a box of books, your author copies. I came home, we'd gotten the author copies and we'd opened them, you know, made a big fanfare of opening the day before, whatever. I come home, he's on the couch with an author copy, reading it from the beginning. I mean, I just don't even, yeah. So for me, it was vital. Now I know, you know, again, you were talking about how people are individuals. And so there are some people that need running to be their own thing. Mm -hmm. They don't even want um, to even talk about it that much. Mm -hmm. It's their mind time, their alone time, their planning time. They don't need races. They don't need training groups. They just want to run. And um, you go, <laughs> that's not me. Um, I got to talk about it. So, uh, so he, uh, so so but here's what happened because he's been such a fan often what happens with him is he will get ahead of me he's much more of a doer than i am and so he'll or well maybe i'm projecting but i think i'm i was worried that he would think that running was gonna fix me mm. and so i actually didn't tell him i didn't tell anybody i mean nobody except the dog for i think it was at least a month I was well into, you know, before I just had to convince myself that it was something that I might stick with in order to feel comfortable just sharing it because I was afraid if I, I don't want to say failed, but if I abandoned it, and I talk about it in the book, you know, like the mini trampoline in the basement and the classes I took and the art studio we created and we actually moved to New Mexico and moved back, you know, we've done a lot of things like that. And, and that's all in the book too. Um, I was afraid that this would just be one more thing that would be Nita's great idea and um, we both would be disappointed. And of course, when that happens, often the person that you're actually trying to protect is yourself. And that was the truth of me as I was actually trying to protect myself from disappointment. Um, but what he what he thinks really means a lot to me. I, I mean, we may be codependent, I'm not sure. I think of us as interdependent, but you know, we're a, we're a couple, we're a unit. Recently, uh, he had a, um, some health challenges and we had a role reversal where I took care of him because he's been taking care of me in a lot of ways for many, many years. Um, and so it was very interesting to see the dynamic change and it, we weren't completely comfortable with it for a while, but that we just had to, because he just, he needed my, my physical care. Um, with his health crisis, he's much better now. But it was it was a it was a change to our relationship that he's been. You know, he's older than I am, and um, 
Um, he's had a job for many years, whereas I was only able to work for about 10 years and then have never been able to hold a kind of a day job since. And so, you know, so there was a, a different role. I did this lots of things, I ways I support him um, too with things he does. I help him with things, but, but, uh, um, um, but I think about people who don't have someone like that and I'm not quite sure what they do. I mean, I think that's, I, my theory is that that's why they join groups of all kinds, um, especially running groups, or they hire a coach, or um, you know, get in some kind of plan like like your plan, where um, they can get help. And because they, not only do you get with a with a like in our training group, not only do we get that community we support. Of course, we get information, we get a training plan, we get videos about you know what to do if you have injuries. We have um, um, uh, strengthen your mind things, and so if you can get all that too. Um, no, that's great, but uh, but yeah, he's. I mean, I'm. I feel like I'm rambling, but he's just been key. So. No, you're not rambling. I appreciate. Oh, one more thing. He has his own hashtag. Oh. On Twitter. Ed? Yeah. I call him. It's all spelled out. No numbers. No dashes. He's the 100% good husband. So just hashtag 100% good husband. So I love it. See if you want to see a. You know, if you put in that hashtag, you can. It'll pull up some posts about. Oh, I love it. Various adventures. So I'm going to note that 100%. Yeah, no, yeah, it's just all the letters. I love it. Yeah, I love it. No, he's amazing and ramble on about amazing, supportive people. I have personal experience with very little support. So I very much applaud support. So I, uh, I'm very, I love when, especially a spouse or partner is supportive and helpful and does exactly what it has done. I ramble on, Nita. It's amazing to have that. So. Well, it, it's not always the case. I mean, I definitely have uh, running friends now whose partners roll their eyes at, you know, oh, not another yes. race, or oh my gosh, and, yeah. no, not Ed. I mean, in fact, he'll say to me, do you need to go run? How long has it been since you ran? <laughs> Tell you need to burn off some of the, yeah exactly <laughs> either you're down too far or you're up too high let's yeah. do that's a that that's a, that's a partner and that's really great I mean, you've gone through some challenge serious challenges and so Ed has been vital for you and I you should ramble on about him I applaud Ed <laughs> yeah totally just another amazing interview that we had going over mindset just incredible you guys want to listen to the advanced session so find your way to the description of this podcast where you will find the link that will get you to the advanced session of nita's interview as well as all of the other open and advanced sessions for our other interviewees the marathon training summit enjoy you're listening to the run pain-free podcast brought to you by the run pain-free academy Featuring biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. Subscribe to us as you leave a positive review on 